This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And they're going to understand what it means because it makes sense. It's simple. It's cost-effective. And it covers everyone. And with the money that we save, we're going to give people tax cuts, or we're going to get them better roads, or we're going to get them better, better and better research into coming up with cures for new diseases. We are no longer going to take hundreds of billions of dollars every single year and give it to insurance companies who do bupkis in return. They don't give me a checkup. They don't give me an operation. Gentlemen's instructed to speak English. <laughs> This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, Unplugged. Welcome to episode 17 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill, less extreme, and generally less angry conversation. Well, it's great to have you back again on The Middle Unplugged. The Super Bowl is over. The dust has settled. Not really sure who played. The only thing that mattered is that no team from Philadelphia won anything. I don't know why I saw so much green walking around here in New York City. That is just not cool. I mean, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm a Jets fan, but arguments already over holding penalties near the end of the game. You know, this is what I think would be considered the dictionary definition of recency bias, this whole idea that somehow missed calls at the end of the game are more important in our recollection of the game. We remember the bad calls near the end, but... It doesn't mean it's any worse or better than a bad call in the middle of the game in terms of the outcome. I think that's science. I don't think that it impacts the game any differently. Well, the one thing to keep in mind, like there are a lot of people, and now this is not a sports show, but there are a lot of people who are like, who think the ref should swallow their whistles near the end of a game. And, you know, the problem with that, and this is the hockey example, is that if that becomes the vibe, the players figure it out and they start mugging the best players during the end of the game because they know the refs aren't going to call it. There used to be this article of faith that towards the end of the third period or in an overtime, refs didn't call anything. And even today in hockey, there's not a lot of calls towards the end of the game. So be careful what you wish for if you think that, well, the refs should just let them play, so to speak. But the real, look, I, I, I love me a good halftime show. This Rihanna thing was amazing. She was, she's, she's pregnant, I mean, there's two things about this, two things about this. First of all, it's got to be the biggest reveal in the history of the Super Bowl because unlike maybe if there, I mean, if there are other acts that are going to perform, maybe you can keep that quiet. But how do you keep quiet that Rihanna's pregnant the entire time, all the buildup? I didn't, unless I missed it, I didn't see a lot of buildup like about that. And then the other thing is she's pregnant. She performed at the Super Bowl in that, you know, up on the big thing and the singing and the whatever. She performed pregnant. I mean, she's a hero. I mean, that's iconic. And people are making, you know, it's funny. Huma immediately spotted. She's like, she's pregnant. I mean, well, immediately was like, what, why is she wearing that big thing? But that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. I mean, eh, just women doing anything when they're pregnant, but performing at the halftime show is just epic. And that's my... Super Bowl update. Thank you. Come again next week. Actually, let's just get to the, the issue of the week now. A full week has passed since the State of the Union, and the arguments over Social Security and, to a lesser extent, Medicare continue. But let's kind of reset this 
Let's reset it with a number of the week. 1935, that's the number. That's the year that we passed the Social Security Act that would provide seniors and the disabled with guaranteed income. And 1965 is the year we passed Medicare Act to provide health insurance for the older people and people who could not find affordable health care at that age. And that was basically nobody could. Now, health care wasn't as expensive then, true, but those two programs, Social Security and Medicare, they're the underpinnings of the of the social safety net. And, you know, look, both programs have worked exactly as designed. Both programs have been popular from the moment they were passed, and both programs were passed over the skepticism that exists today of many Republicans that continue to this day to try to dismantle them to some degree. Now, Social Security, again, just to reset the table, Social Security was designed as a way that one generation of workers essentially provides, through a payroll tax, a safety net to the workers that will follow. And then when it's their turn to retire, that safety net exists there. It's not the be-all and end-all, but it has succeeded in taking up the the poverty rate was over 25% when it was passed. And today, it's in single digits. And it's not a very complicated program. You pay in as you work, you get payments when you retire. There are not a ton of moving parts. The idea that more and more that there are more and more retirees each year that's not a bug of the system despite what people say oh my god there's so many more retirees than there used to be it's always been a feature of the program because our country has always not sometimes always added workers and had growth in our economy and that's because we continue to have babies and you know people say oh the baby boomer generation that's the biggest generation no the biggest generation was the one after the baby boomer generation but the other way we continue to grow to add workers and then air strength to the social security system is wait for it immigration we bring in more people those people pay into social security and they grow our worker base the economy grows and as the economy grows yes there are more retirees but there are also more workers and also more productive workers So you don't need as many workers to support each retiree. And almost from the moment this has passed, there were some that have seen this as fundamentally un-American program. One of those people is Senator Mike Lee of Utah. It will be my objective to phase out Social Security, to pull it up by the roots and get rid of it. People who advise me politically always tell me that's dangerous, and I tell them, in that case, it's not worth my running. That's why I'm doing this, to get rid of that. Medicare and Medicaid are of the same sort and need to be pulled up. So that's the extreme. But he is saying what is, in many quarters, a very unpopular idea, but he's saying it out loud. That's the only—but there's a lot of them that believe that, even though there's the one guy says noise at the beginning. That guy seems to like it. That guy's a senator from Utah. Utah, pretty red state, but lots of senior citizens. I mean, and this is when he's up for election. He, you know, he just said it out loud. The interesting thing about him, (laughs) well, I'll wait till we get to the Biden part. But other ideas over the years that sound better than pull it out by the roots or whatever Mike Lee said are things that effectively end it as a predictable universal safety net. Like, President Bush and many members of Congress have suggested that you privatize it, that you take that enormous tranche of money that's in the trust fund that people pay in, and you basically invest it in the stock market. You give it to them under the guise of giving people individual choice. 
and you give it to them, they then get, then go invest in the stock market. The problem with that is while and the argument that they'll make is that if you look at since 1935, if you look at Fortune 500, if you look at the the Dow Jones, if you look at the stock market, it's gone up way more than the value of the Social Security Trust Fund, which is invested in T bills, and that's true. But the stock market, as we know, doesn't go up or down; it goes up and down. And if you happen to retire or make a bad decision during that period, or it gets invested in a way during, or you have to retire, say, in 2009, that's not a great program either. But that was Bush and a lot of members of Congress during my time in Congress, and a lot of people, a lot of them still believe it. And part of the argument for making these changes in Social Security has always been to see doubts about it. Say things like, we're living longer than we ever expected, there are fewer workers per retiree, the things that I just talked to you about, and to trying to break the broad support that Social Security has by scaring younger citizens who don't have the history with it about its durability and salting the argument with the oldest and lamest one around saying this is socialism. On top of it not being there, it's a form of socialism. Well, here's another number for you. Two trillion eight hundred and twenty nine billion eight hundred and eighty seven million dollars. That's the surplus in the Social Security Trust Fund at the end of last year. Two point eight trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. That's in the trust fund that we're waiting to tap into for the time that we need it. The thing is, as I said, it's structured in such a way that there are work, a certain number of workers, they pay in, it goes into the trust fund, and the money is essentially waiting for it. Now, that's not to say that there are not occasionally times that changes need to get made in Social Security. In 2021 and now in 2022, we started for the first time spending slightly more each year than we took in. Some of that was COVID-related, that there wasn't as much income coming in and a steady amount going out. That was the kind of glitch that we've seen throughout the economy. By the way, just to make it clear, I mentioned this in passing, the money in the Social Security Trust Fund doesn't just sit in a pile of 20s in a vault somewhere. It is counted against our deficit, and it is essentially borrowed by the government to pay our other bills. So it earns interest. Now, it's a very safe, we only invested in T-bills, so it doesn't earn a lot, but it doesn't just sit there. It actually helps the government in other ways. It's kind of like having money in your savings that you then put to fix your roof of your house and you always put it back in your savings. But where does the money come from? How does the system work in the nuts and bolts? Well, most of it comes from a dedicated payroll tax. Employers and employees each pay 6.2% of the wages up to a maximum of $147,000. Now, that's an important number, meaning if you make $150,000, the last $3,000 is no Social Security tax at all, and there's none above it. So, and the reason they do that is the very well-to-do. The argument is, well, this is not really a program for you guys. You guys are fine when you retire. So we should only tax, we should make this a worker-to-worker type program. So the taxes are only paid on the first $147,000. And so the question becomes, will Social Security be there when younger workers retire? How legitimate is that beef? How legitimate is that gripe? When Republicans say, oh, you're being cowardice by not even talking about it. Well, there's a body called the Social Security Actuary's Office, and it really does nothing else except try to determine the life expectancy of Social Security so we can have information. And like any other actuary, it sometimes gets things wrong. And the way it stands today, they say by 2035, we will then only have 80% of what we need to fully pay everyone, meaning it's not going to be dry in 2035. It means at that point, we'll have to start paying people 80% of what they were due rather than 100%. 
And they're, by the way, as I mentioned, they're often wrong. Just this year, they announced that they'd added a year to the expected fully funded life because when they try to figure out the effect of COVID, they had it wrong. We recovered faster, more money in the trust fund, longer life expectancy. So how do you make a change in Social Security that is, like I said, it's a fairly simple program. One way to do it is to have millionaires and billionaires pay the same rate as everyone else. Remember I mentioned there's only taxes up to $147,000? Well, there's a proposal in Congress that's gotten virtually every Democrat support that says the payroll tax above $400,000, you start paying the payroll tax again. And so that would mean that the wealthy would pay at the same rate as a waitress earning $30,000. And why not do it just every dollar over $147,000? Because the argument is, well, some of those people, we don't want to raise taxes on anyone who's nominally middle class. Only the well-to-do, those are making $400,000 more. So if you just start collecting Social Security taxes on people's high-income money, then you would basically add 11 years to life expectancy of the program, just with that one change. So when people say, oh, my God, we've got to fundamentally think through whether Social Security works, whether it doesn't, I would just say a couple of things to them. And one is, no, you can make a fairly modest change in how we tax it, and it's not that hard to do, and that you don't take away anyone's benefits, and you continue the generational shift in money from one generation to the other. So why am I bringing this up now? Well, you recall from the State of the Union address, the debt ceiling needs to be raised, and the Republicans are demanding concessions, but they have been silent on what they want. Now, they probably consider this a strategy. I think it is much more a function of the idea that they don't know what they want. So into this void steps the president at the State of the Union. He said some Republicans want to sunset the program. Yes, he didn't use Mike Lee's words about tearing up or the tear the roots up or anything else. Or he didn't even use the words of the 150 members of the Republican caucus at the Republican study group who want to raise the retirement age. And I've, I'm sure you've heard this clip before, but I just, want, I just want you to listen to exactly what President Biden said. Some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it, unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans... Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I enjoy conversion. It's a good quote. I like that tagline. I enjoy conversion. So why the outrage? You know, why, why not kind of a debate on the merits? And because fundamentally, and this was going to be a recurring problem with Republicans, Congress, and especially in the House of Representatives, that they don't know what they feel about some of these things. There is no intellectual or governing scaffolding under their party right now. Like they know they hate Joe Biden and they hate the Clintons and they want to own the libs and George Soros gets them all animated and the lamestream media and Fauci, like you, you name it. They've got their list of enemies. With it, they seem to hate Social Security and Medicare and Obamacare and infrastructure and these other things. They seem to viscerally not like those programs. But in the past, they had this mantra with Obamacare of repeal and replace. And you'll notice, by the way, there's no talk about repealing Obamacare anymore, because what they found out is they did not have an idea for the replace part. 
It's always been the missing element of their plans to eliminate things like Obamacare and Social Security for that matter. And unlike Democrats who fundamentally believe that government can be a force for good and so they are oriented towards ideas on how to do it, on plans on how to write legislation to do it, Republicans have only contempt for what's there. And this is why the idea of simply revoting on everything is their plan du jour, because they do know that they want to vote no. So when a plan to sunset it, broadly speaking, which is what the president was referring to, and and that is one of their proposals, is their answer to every program. Just let it go away, all of it. Now, this is not universal. A plan to raise the retirement age is a real idea. Now, I disagree with it. It's a lousy idea because, remember, people are paying into Social Security with an expectation of a retirement date. And to say, well, it's not going to affect anyone today. Let's just change it. No, that's, if anything, but it's an idea. There's the Republican Study Group, that organization I told you about, had a plan to go to a national sales tax of about 30 percent and then eliminate the progressive income tax. The beneficiary of that would be rich people for whom the income tax, the sales tax is not a big thing. They've got all their stuff already. It's a lousy idea, but it's, at least it's an idea. But now look at the new Republican House. They're doing hearings and stuff. They're showing outrage about stuff. But ideas for laws? Not really. They promised an immigration bill in the first week. And one problem with that is it needs to be an actual bill that becomes law. And they can't seem to pull that off. They just don't know how. Now, I mentioned in passing... Medicare, and so did Mike Lee in that cut that I played. Unlike Social Security, which is a fairly simple generational pass along from us to our kids to our parents, I mean, actually from us and our kids to our parents, medical care is expensive, and we have what some might describe as a death shortage in this country, that people are getting older, living longer, a lot of expenses at the later years in life. Now, Obamacare made some changes that extended the life of that program by about 12 years and reduced medical inflation because more things were covered and there were more smart decisions made about, you know, we actually added coverage for some things that kept down medical inflation because they're the preventative sort. But we should do more. What should we do more? Well, to improve coverage, make it less expensive, make doctors and patients happy and give a giant shot in the arm to our economy. Well, for that, You've got to go back and listen to my episode of The Middle that I did on Saturday. I touched on the Medicare part of this on that program that you can download wherever you get podcasts, or some of you might have heard it. But to expect that the current back and forth between the president and the Republicans to follow roughly this script for a while is probably what you should be doing. This is the way it's going to be. The Republicans in Congress continue to feed their base kind of a steady diet of outrage and book banning and hunter hunting. That's pretty clever hunter hunting. I should actually trademark that. And shouting about socialism. But remember this foundational rule of politics. You always aspire to be talking about what you want to talk about. Sometimes you get very lucky and your opponents decide that they also want to talk about it. And when the enduring issue of the State of the Union address is Social Security and what people think about it, that's been a very good week for whoever's making the State of the Union address. We'll be right back with Listener Mail. Welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. We're going to go to Listener Mail now. As I've mentioned before, there are lots of ways to reach out. WienerWABC at gmail.com, at Rep Wiener on Twitter, Anthony D. Wiener on Facebook. And we love to get feedback each. When we do the radio show at 2 o'clock on Saturdays, we get lots of calls. And that is spicy. And in this case, we like to just take 
one letter writer and kind of respond to it. And Neil in Flushing returns to something from last week's episode. If you didn't hear it, I did an episode on Chinese spy balloons. That's when we had one of them. He says, Neil says, why do you say nothing is at stake? Couldn't it be that these balloons are attacked from other countries or other planets? Question mark. Well, yeah, that's exact. I'm with you, Neil. They could be. You know, by the way, apparently the Chinese were indeed listening to my podcast because their response was exactly what I said it was going to be. They said the United States is doing it too. So as I sit here, you know, it's Wednesday morning. Now there have been three more of these bad boys shot down. My thing is that Neil's not wrong. Stop shooting at these things. <laughs> Leave them alone. Let them keep floating. Apparently there are thousands of them. This is always the dynamic around here. And what is the thing I said last week? The one approach that you can be sure that, that the military guys are going to take is one that makes them look like they're completely competent. When they screw something up, it doesn't matter. We're just watching it because we needed to watch what it was going to do. So now they're shooting these Sidewinder missiles, a $400,000 Sidewinder missile. You know, these stories are great because you learn about stuff you didn't know before. Shot from an F-16 at a freaking kite or something. One of the outlets had cockpit audio from this F-16. I don't know how they got it. The Daily Mail, so you know it can't be wrong. And you can hear the guys, and they're saying, I don't know what it, I can't tell what it is about one of these things. It was shot down over Lake Huron. And I continue to have the same fundamental position. You stop fretting so much about this stuff. And I am a little bit concerned. I mean, Neil might have been being flippant. I am a little concerned. What if, if you do want to contact, if you do want to contact us, might you not be flying in from out of town. You know what? If anyone is watching it, look, by the couple of things. One, if the Chinese were testing us to see what the heck we do, now they know that just about anything up in the air we're going to shoot at. So there, you got your answer. You know now that after whatever blowback Joe Biden got for being feckless or weak or whatever it is, they're going to shoot. They're just trigger happy right now. We know that. But what if you're watching this from way out of town? What if you're going to come visit us by some means? You I assume that you've got Twitter up there. Do they have Twitter out of space or whatever it is? I assume, I mean, it is just a matter of time before we shoot something out of the sky that's trying to bring us the answer to global warming and dark energy and the meaning of life. Just stop shooting at these things. Move on. It's a balloon. It's a kite. Even though one of them was, what is the shape? Hexagonal, octagonal. I'm kind of with Neil. Kind of come to a different conclusion. He's like, don't, don't minimize it. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I really don't have a $400,000 missile every time we shoot one. And where do they land? I mean, I'm no expert. But where do they land? We were so concerned the first time about this stuff fluttering to earth over Montana. Now we're shooting Sidewinder missiles. One of them missed. Where does a Sidewinder missile that misses land? And I'll tell you something else. You know, one of the, argue, one of the explanations was... I know. I, on one hand, I say, why should we care? And then I can't stop talking about it. And then they say, well, these things were floating in a part of the sky that was used for commercial aviation. We want to make sure it got out of the way. So you're shooting Sidewinder missiles of it? <laughs> that doesn't seem, doesn't seem like a particularly smart idea. So I continue to believe, stop shooting at these things, move on. We got them. The Chinese got them. And oh, I have one other question. Maybe I should start doing questions for myself on these things. Didn't we just make a new arm of the military in the Trump administration for the Space Force or something like that? Isn't this kind of what the Space Force should do? They're up there, I assume they're up there wearing their spacesuits flying around, protecting us. 
So, Neil and Flushing, I'm sorry if you don't like that I'm not treating this seriously enough, but I do agree with you that it could very well be folks from other countries or other, what does he say here, or other planets. It could be that these balloons are from other planets and we're screwing the pooch by shooting them out of the air. So that does it for today's episode of The Middle Unplugged. Thank you so much for being so supportive of it. If you like what you're hearing, share it, subscribe to it anywhere you get podcasts. You can always get it on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You can also get all of the other programs that we have here at WABC there as well, including my weekend program, The Middle. This week, not to give up a hint that I gave earlier, we did a episode on the end of the COVID emergency and the test of single-payer health care in the city, of the country rather. And any review that you give it would be helpful as well. It is great having you along and all the support you've given to The Middle and to The Middle Unplugged. This is Anthony Weiner, and this is the end of The Middle Unplugged.